Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 7. We need to pray before we get to work. Uh, sorry for the delay, but uh, we, were, we were just covering the baptistry last moment. This, uh, this church was built by Mary Baker Eddy. I don't know if that means anything to you, but Third Church of Christ Scientist believed that you had to have faith to be healthy and that's why there's stairs everywhere. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, so there's no baptistry. And um, so the, the, the group, there's a Christian group, an evangelical church that had it uh, back in the day. They ran a coffee shop out of the basement, actually. So they just brought in this stock tank. They're doing baptisms in that. And... Um, when I started doing baptisms in this tank, it was the first time in my life I didn't have to put on waiters to get into the baptistry with someone. I'm like, we ain't going back. That thing's awesome. And uh, it's, it's good. Okay, so uh, let's pray and, and then we'll, we'll get to work. If you didn't get a handout on the way in, you want hard copy, just raise your hand and, and uh, the Connections team will hook you up with a set of the notes, all right? Otherwise, you can get digital notes online on our Facebook page, YouTube, and, and mbtkc.org. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name, and Lord, just confess how desperately we need you. Without you, it's true. We'll waste our time, and there'll be a lot of effort, and we'll accomplish nothing. But Lord, uh, we want to be full of faith. We believe your word, and, and with you all things are possible. And so God, would you meet with us today? Would you help us in your word? We want to hear and understand. Uh, we don't want it to just be head knowledge. We want to submit to and we want to obey. Let your word be reality over our life. And then God, we pray that our lives would fall out to your worship, your worthy, uh, in tithes and offerings, uh, in sacrifice, whether it's obedient giving, uh, supporting ministry here, or sacrificing to see ministry multiply around the world. We want to be in all in on that. And then, Lord, I ask that you'd bless us as stewards, not, not just that we give some money, um, uh, but, Lord, it's, it's as, as, we've, as we've been led by your Spirit in obedience to your word. We want to be sensitive to, to be all in, and not just with the money, but with our lives. Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow us as ministers and that you'd be glorified as a result. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we get into Genesis 7, we're going to pick it up in verse 10. I got a question last week, and I thought it was good. Um, you know, somebody said, uh, how come we're not talking about the dinosaurs? And I've uh, been, been waiting to hear where we're going to deal with the dinosaurs. And, and uh, the reason why we haven't dealt with the dinosaurs is they're not, you know, they're not in Genesis. We don't see them there. And so I was just going to ignore it and keep going. And how many want to hear what happened to the dinosaurs? Anybody interested in that? So about half. Okay, the other half, you're just waiting for Jurassic Park or something. And so, um, but but uh, the Bible doesn't say what. There's some places you can, you know. There's there's different theories. You know, they 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 were left behind in Genesis six flood. Uh, Noah did have them on the ark, and Nimrod was a mighty hunter, and so he hunt them all. He, he got hooked on Tyrannosaurus steak and ribeye, and you know, so there's a lot of, a lot of theories. You're not gonna find it specifically told in the Bible. I've got a theory, and I'll just throw this out for whatever it's worth. What, what have we been seeing so far? We've been seeing that Satan attacks the seed. 
Okay, that's a pattern. Okay, there's patterns in the Bible. God creates the heaven and the earth. The earth is full of life, and this life is in the seed, right? Everything reproduces after its kind. You remember in Isaiah 14 that Satan got full of pride. He got lifted up, and he said that he would, I mean, this is where the spirit of Antichrist is born. Satan is standing in the place of God as God. He's saying, I will be like the most high. And so whatever God has, whatever God does, uh, that's mine and I'll do it. And, and so what did we see? We saw this prophecy in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would crush, right, his head. Uh, she's gonna give birth to a skull crusher. And so in order to countervene, in order to overthrow that prophecy, the next thing that we see Satan doing is he's attacking the seed of the woman. It's corrupted seed and all flesh was corrupted before God and this is the reason we saw God putting the reset on creation. He puts a reset on the human genome. Noah is perfect, he's upright, he's whole, he's complete in his generations and his genealogy and so, so here's a place, here's a time where all flesh is corrupted before the Lord and, and so the, the, the reset happens. What's on the ark resets life, both man and animal life, okay? So Satan corrupts the seed. He corrupts the seed of God's word. We saw that in Genesis 3, the seed of the woman, Genesis 6. Um, he's, and, and then it's also after that, Genesis 6 says, you know, there's giants in the land in Canaan. They're trying to take the promised land and there's giants in the land. King David has to deal with giants in the land. Satan's all about corrupting the seed. And so one theory that, that might work is what happened in Genesis 1-1 that was so bad that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, it's perfect. God said he didn't create it in Isaiah 45-18 the way we find it in Genesis 1-2. I did not create it formless and void, I created it to be inhabited. You gotta put Satan's fall somewhere, so we put it right between verses 1-1, uh, Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. So Genesis 1-1, original creation. After Genesis 1-1, Satan gets lifted up with pride Genesis 1-2, cataclysm, darkness is upon the face of the deep, and then the creation week, which was 6,000 years ago. Um, the morning and the evening were the first day, the second day, that was 6,000 years ago. Uh, God is restoring creation with the creation week, and so, so could it be that, let's just go ahead and throw up the slide here. You know, God makes a lizard and Satan's like, let me take a crack at that. They don't look, like they'd make good pets to me. They don't look like they'd be good beasts of burden, uh, good workers in the field. Uh, it's all about just lunch. Okay, so could it be that, that, that Satan was messing with the seed of Genesis 1-1 so it can fit there? People will say, well, if it was, if it was in that cataclysm, what, what about all these, you know, they, they found a fossilized footprint, these footprints, and there was a dinosaur footprint with the footprint of a man inside of it, which proved that dinosaurs and men were contemporaries. Does anybody see, remember that? You see that? Real famous uh, discovery. Every time you see an angel, an angel is a, right, it's a man. It's in the Bible, okay? I'm not talking about in popular art. In popular art, an angel is a, you know, like a hot blonde supermodel with wings or a little chubby baby with wings, a bow and arrow, right? No, it's always a dude, a man. Well, then that, that, that would fit. But it could be that you know, they got corrupted and, along with all of the flesh, and, and so you know, T-Rex didn't make it on the boat. Um, it doesn't say, probably doesn't matter, but there's another 
There's another theory to throw in your discussion pot. What happened to the dinosaurs? Can't wait to get to heaven and see God's streaming collection, and uh, we'll get to see it all. All right, Genesis chapter seven, verse 10, we'll pick it up. Uh, Verse 10, and it came to pass, here is God's judgment over sin. It's happening here. It came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life. In the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth and the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and every fowl after his kind and every bird after and every bird of every sort. They went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they, and they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. And the flood was upon, right? The flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and bare up the ark and it was lift up above the earth and the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and all the and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life. Of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of heaven, of the heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth and Noah only remained alive. And they that were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed upon the earth and 150 days. Okay, so notice all of the numbers in this passage. This is one of the most precisely dated events in all of God's word. If we use Usher's math, we find out that the flood, if we look at the dates of the line of Adam to Noah, we find that the flood occurs 1656 years after Adam. The way we would tell that time by our calendar, this flood started in 2349 BC. And Enoch knew it, he knew it was coming. He may not have known the day or the hour, but he knew it was coming. He knew he was living in the last of the last days before cataclysm comes. And this is why he names his son Methuselah. His name means when he is dead, it, judgment will come. So Methuselah gives birth to Lamech, Lamech to Noah. Okay, what about my, what about my great great grandbaby, right? What about Noah? Okay, he's saved, he's in the ark after Methuselah dies. When Methuselah dies, when Pops dies, judgment comes. Now, the same thing, right? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man, okay? We are living in the last of the last days, and God, and we know it's close. We may not know the day or the hour, but God has the date down. He knows when it's gonna happen. You're just not gonna figure it out yet, right? Um, you'll, you'll know the, the times and the seasons, but, but we don't know the minute. The wise men, they did the same thing. The wise men from the east figured out the first coming within two years. 
They got real close. They were within two years. We know this from Matthew chapter two and verse 16. You remember the story? Uh, we've come to worship the Messiah that, 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 that was promised and, and, and where is he? And King Herod, he's a type of antichrist. He's like, whoa, uh, in his heart, not cool. Hey, you know, when you find him, tell me where he is and uh, I'll go worship him. And he finds out that, you know, he just asks. Um, you know, where's this gonna be in, in the area of Bethlehem? And, and so they find out that they're, they're, they've got a two-year window and, and when Herod finds out he can't figure out where Jesus is, he, he has all of the babies, two years and down, put to death. So the wise men got it down, the first coming of Christ, to within two years, that's amazing. The Bible says that the flood, the judgment came on the 17th day of the second month. So from the 17th day of the second month to the 17th day of the seventh month, that's precisely, the Bible says, 150 days. And so that, so that shows us that God is using a lunar calendar of 12 months of 30 days. So the Jewish calendar is a little different than our Gregorian calendar. The Jewish calendar runs on a lunar cycle of 30 days. Um, there's a civil calendar, there's a religious calendar, there are all, there's a little bit of difference, there's a little bit of overlap, and all of that's designed to make sure that you as a Gentile will never really know what time it is on God's calendar. It's very confusing. Uh, you have to be able to do a little bit of calendar calculus if you're gonna keep it straight. Now, here's the big question that people ask, is where did all this water come from? Where did it all come from? And what we're gonna find out is, I mean, well, look at verse uh, 11. Okay, this same day when the flood started, it says the fountains of the great deep, uh, were, were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So the water came from the fountains of the deep being broken up and the windows of heaven being opened. Okay, so you remember we were looking at the structure of the universe, Dan replaced my doodle with his own, so let's go ahead and bring that up. I uh, made some changes so that we could work through this today. Um, you remember in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heaven and the earth, and so you have the earth and heaven. This is just representing the earth and heaven together. Uh, we know about this great body of water called the deep from Job 38, Revelation chapter four. It's called the crystal sea. Um, it is a great body of water that actually separates Mount Zion or Asgard from the rest of creation, okay? And uh, it's a massive body of water. As a matter of fact, scientists today say we can't see over 95% of the mass of the universe. We think it's water. Well, that's what the Bible describes. There is a great crystal sea. It's a frozen sea. It's like a stone is the lid of this sea. It separates heaven from the rest of creation. And um, you remember, you know, Satan in this kingdom gets lifted up with pride. He says, I, you know, the five I wills, I will be like the most high. And so there's a cataclysm. And so I don't know if, you know, it's because tyrannosauruses were running loose in, in the streets of gold or whatever. But, but uh, there's a cataclysm that takes place. And so the earth, you remember, is plunged through the deep, Second Peter chapter three, and that brings us to the state of Genesis chapter one and verse two. So let's go ahead and do that. So the earth is plunged through in judgment. Now darkness is upon the face of the deep, right? 
And then we saw uh, you know, an expanse, a firmament separating the waters of the earth from the waters of the deep. And it was in that expanse, that, that place where God, that's where he sticks the cosmos. He made the, the sun and the moon and he created the stars. You know, it was just this real, you know, just like, yeah, I did that. This real simple thing, you know. He made the stars also. So he puts the cosmos in this space where you've got the, the, the waters of the deep, the earth is surrounded in them. Now there's this separation that the cosmos go is, goes in and so all the little spots. That's, that's, those are the, I guess, the galaxies of the, of the universe. Okay, so there it is. So now we fast forward to Genesis chapter seven, the flood starts. Where do the waters come from? Well, here's what we're gonna see in scripture, okay? The fountains of the deep were broken up, so let's go ahead and illustrate that. And then the windows of heaven are opened, so there's a transfer of water from the deep via the windows of heaven that cover the face of the earth. You say, now you're just talking crazy. Well, okay, wait till we get to God's streaming collection and uh, I'll be your host on how this went down. Okay, so, so what, what, what do we have here? Um, you know, God is light. Our God is a consuming fire. How come we can't see him? You know, you look out in the night sky, it's all dark. If he's light, why don't we see him? Well, the, the deep separates the cosmos from God's throne in heaven. You're, you're not gonna see him on this side of glory. You're not gonna see that light. Um, so, so how does it get there? Well, there are windows in heaven, okay? Um, there, the Bible is very clear that there are circuits in heaven. There's courses that can be traveled in heaven. You say, explain that. Well, I can't, um, you know, science fiction tries to. Let's say we wanna go to Alpha Centauri. Um, if you invent faster than light travel, so now we've got FTL, you still don't wanna travel that way. It's still gonna take forever to get from here to Alpha Centauri. So what you really wanna do is you wanna travel interdimensionally because that's where it's at. If we can fold space time, we can pop out anywhere. And that's a, that's a reoccurring theme in science fiction. Everybody, have you ever seen God's car in the Bible? You know what I'm talking about? Do you ever, you ever see God's, I mean just read, read Ezekiel sometime. Check out God's ride. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's um, you know, forget NASCAR, it's a cherub that drive, you know, I mean, he's, his chauffeur is a cherub and, and, and the car is a wheel within a wheel. And you'll see this in popular science fiction. Everybody's ripping off God's car. And they'll, they'll show you, anybody see Stargate? You know what I'm talking about, Stargate? A classic movie, it's, it's a must watch, Stargate. They find a wheel in a wheel and that gives them the ability to fold face, space time and so you can instantaneously pop out somewhere in another part of the cosmos. Pretty handy, forget FTL, that's no way to travel the cosmos. Don't let anybody sucker you into faster than light travel. That, there's, there's, no, there's no future in that. You gotta fold space time. There's another movie, um, Contact. Uh, anybody see Contact? These are from the 90s. I'm dating myself here. Uh, in Contact, we get a message from outer space, just build this machine and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get together and visit. So they build another Ezekiel, wheel in a wheel. I mean, they just rip off God's car again and, and uh, they drop her, her travel module into this wheel in the wheel and, and uh, in the movie, everybody's bummed out because she just falls through it. They're like, oh, it failed. But the recording on her camera was like 18 hours of static. 
and she meets the alien in the form of her father or whatever, and she gets deep inside. Okay, so they're, they're, what they're showing in that is she's, you know, they're folding space-time, and she's popping out another part of the cosmos. How did Jesus, when he resurrected, say to Mary, don't touch me, I've not yet ascended. He still hadn't performed his high priestly function. Okay, so that's that morning, don't touch me, woman. I'm not done with this job, right? The work is finished, I just have to present the blood of the sacrifice as the high priest. And, and, uh, and then later that day, he's like, it's me, touch me, feel me. So he goes outside of known creation. He goes from earth to Mount Zion, to the temple in heaven, and back in a day. Okay, that is not faster than light travel. That's moving at the speed of thought. That is, the only way that happens is you pop out of existence here and into existence there, and this is folding, this is interdimensional travel is what we're talking about. Is everybody with me? Is this making sense? I came here to learn the Bible, not to get some science fiction kook, this is a science fiction convention, what, okay. I'm just, like, you gotta have a way to explain this thing to your buddies when you're giving them the gospel. Okay, so, there are windows in heaven, the fountains of the deep are broken, Okay, look at the Bible, Job chapter 38. This is the deep that we saw when we described the Genesis 1-2 cataclysm. Job 38, 29 says, out of whose womb came the ice and the hoary frost of heaven, who hath gendered it? The waters are hid as with a stone and the face of the deep is frozen. So the, the fountains of the great deep, the fountains that separate the second heaven from the third, they're broken up so we're moving some icebergs, right? We're moving some large, massive bodies of water, and we'll see how massive in a moment. But the windows of heaven are opened. Why, because they have to be transferred. So that's question number two. How did all that water get to, to earth? Well, the windows of heaven were opened. In describing God's judgment in Isaiah 24, 18, the Bible talks about the windows from on high being open. They're open, and the fountains of the earth do shake. So heaven has windows. There are circuits of travel. Check out Job 22, 14, Psalms 19, 6. There are tracks through the cosmos that can be traveled. And, and, and because of that, things can be affected on earth. In 2 Kings chapter 7, you've got a story of a man that did not believe there were windows in heaven. We're all gonna die. And because he didn't have faith, God's message to him through the prophet is basically, you're gonna see the windows open, you're gonna see the supply come, but you're not going to live to partake. And sure enough, when the, when the panic hit, when the excitement hit over the, the promise of food, he was, he was destroyed, he was trampled under. He saw the windows of heaven open, but he wasn't able to partake. See, here's the key. We're talking about a massive amount of water. There's a lot of theories about how could the whole earth be covered. Uh, it is known that there are great high pressure bodies of seawater in the earth, superheated, massive bodies of high pressure uh, seawater, uh, sea salt water. Um, but I, I don't personally think that gives you the volume that we're gonna be talking about here in a moment. Okay, there's no way you're gonna cover 15 cubits above the highest mountain on earth without some kind of supernatural intervention. The Bible describes the time of the rains falling as 40 days and 40 nights. So we're, de we're describing an infusion of water from outside the planet system from outside the planet system. The Bible says in the selfsame day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth and the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them, uh, uh, with them into the ark. 
And verse 14 says, every beast of every sort goes into the ark. They went in unto Noah in the ark, two of two of all flesh, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, and God commanded them, and the Lord shut them in. So there's a, again, we'll look at this in a second. There's a massive body of water that's going to be unleashed in order for flesh to be saved, they have to be inside the ark. They have to be in it. Uh, So let's look at some pictures. There's some illustrations. There's some truths that we need to get from this uh, in verses 13 through 16. So, So get this down in your notes. Here are the types to be seen in the flood. And we saw this in chapter six and verse 16, but the ark has a door, and that's critical. The ark has a door. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark thou shalt set in the side thereof, with the lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. So the ark has a door, but notice here in Genesis 7 verse 16, it's the Lord that shuts the door. Okay, what's the picture there? What's being illustrated there? You remember the ark has this door that gives access to the first, second, and third stories of the ark, and so the ark, we saw pictures physical creation. Paul says he, he knew he was uh, able to go to the third heaven. If there's a third heaven, that means there's a second heaven and a first heaven, right? If there's a third heaven, that means there are at least three heavens. Uh, people talk about seventh heaven, that, that's made up, okay? From the Bible, we know there's three heavens. Um, it's pretty arrogant to think you can introduce somebody to seventh heaven. Well, anyway, so never mind. Let's keep it PG. So, um, you know, and then at the top, so it pictures physical creation, this ark, because this is where all life is saved. And then at the top, there's, these, there's this window that's a cubit high. And uh, so roughly 18 to 23 inches high window. And, and people theorize that maybe that circumference is the top of the ark, this window. Uh, just like there's, there's above creation is this entrance into heaven. But, but we also talked about the ark being a picture of Christ. It's only in Christ that man can be saved. And so what we're seeing here with God shutting the door, this is a picture of grace. Noah makes the door because God commanded him. Noah can enter into the door because God commanded him, but he can't shut it because man cannot ultimately save himself. God has to shut them up into salvation. God shutting them in shows that Noah has God's love and his care and his protection. It shows his, his salvation and his security. But it also, it also shows that the season of grace is over for everyone outside. The 120 years are done, you should have built a boat. There's no hope of salvation once the door is shut. You see another example of this in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, verses one through 13, you've got 10 virgins. Five are wise and five are foolish. And they're waiting for the bridegroom. They wanna meet the bridegroom. The five wise virgins have lamps. And they thought about what it takes to make a fire and so they made sure they had fuel. The foolish virgins knew that they were supposed to be waiting for, a, for, the, for the bridegroom with a lamp. But there's no, they have a form of godliness. There's no reality, okay? There's nothing on the inside and, and so they're vapid, they're, they're foolish. They, they don't think things through and so they don't have oil. And the Bible says at midnight there was a cry made and behold the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Uh, trim your lamps, man, have them burning brightly. Go meet your bridegroom. And then the, the foolish virgins clue in 
Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. But the wise, say, the wise answered saying, not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with them to the marriage and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Uh, there, that, that's the picture. Once the door is shut, it's over. At some point, the door on the church age will be shut. And you will not, after the rapture of the church, be able to pray and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life and save me. Thank you for my eternal security. Thank you for my eternal salvation. Because after the rapture of the church, under the, under the economy, under the, the dispensational the dispensational issues that are in play in the time of great tribulation, it's only those that endure to the end that are saved. Uh, People will lose their life because they refuse to bow to the Antichrist agenda and they refuse to worship the Antichrist. They They will be martyred for their faith. They have to endure to the end because everyone who gives in and takes the mark of the beast, Revelation 14 says, do not pass, go. Go straight to hell. If you, if you do not endure to the end and you take the mark of the beast and you sign up for a system of worship of Satan in the person of Antichrist, that will literally damn you to hell. There's no way out of that. You have to endure to the end. Man, it is so good to be a part of the bride of Christ, to be in the church age. Right now I have eternal life. I can't lose it. If I can lose it, it's not, it's not eternal. It would be temporal. The promise to people in this age, in this dispensation, is of eternal life. Now, can I give myself eternal life? No, God has to shut me up in it. When I believe on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans chapter six says, I'm baptized into him. I am now in Christ, he is in me. God shuts me up into the person and the life of Christ. But he has to, he's the one that closes the door. Once the church age is over, right, the door is shut to those that are without. Now, notice there's only one door in the ark. God shuts it. And the result is perfect security. Not one is lost. No, no son or daughter-in-law falls off the boat into the flood. No animal is lost. It's perfect security. This now then pictures the door that's in heaven, okay? So heaven not only has windows, but it has doors, okay? In Revelation chapter four, you see a door open, and there John, John, the apostle John is raptured up, okay? He's picturing the church. So after, you know, here's, here's basically again the outline. In Revelation chapter one, we have the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the revealing of the person of Christ. What follows? Seven letters to seven churches in Revelation chapter two and three. That will picture, that will illustrate for you the church age. And then after the church age, what happens? Well, the church is raptured out before tribulation comes. So in Revelation chapter four, verse one, a door is opened in heaven and John, a type of the church, goes up. And then what happens after that? All the way through to Revelation chapter 19, we see the time of great tribulation unfold. And then in Revelation 19, verse 11, the door in heaven opens again. This is the conclusion of the tribulation. Christ comes to 
basically kick booty in his own name. And uh, he uh, destroys the Antichrist, the armies of the Antichrist, and then he rules and reigns, right? He comes back with his bride to rule and reign for a thousand years. It's the honeymoon, okay. So that's it. But, but notice about this door in heaven when God shuts it. That settles it, that's it. In Revelation chapter three and verse seven, the Bible says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Once God shuts the door, it's too late, you can't get it open. Now, here's the good news though. Sometimes God will knock on a door. In Revelation 3.20, we find out that man can open the door by hearing the voice of God. Right, if you open the word of God, if you listen to the voice of God, if you listen to the preaching of the word, if you'll receive the word of God, you can open a door. In Revelation 3.20, the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Man, there's a door to your heart and your mind and the Bible, the word of God is knocking. Will you open, will you receive the person of Christ via his voice, if any man hear my voice, if you'll just open that door, I'll come in and we'll do life together. This was the secret of the Philadelphian church. Look at Revelation 3, 7 and 8 again. This was also known as the church of the open door. Okay, so seven letters of seven churches. Amazingly, the issues that are being dealt with in those seven letters line up with church history. And there is no church like the Philadelphian church. The Philadelphian church age is a time in our recent past when the church took this book and used it to turn the world upside down. They took the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations with the King James Bible. Turn the, this, was the, this was the book that the church used for over 300 years, okay? And they, they had an open door. This, this, was the, this was the biggest time, the greatest time of missions in the history of the church age. And look at, what, look at what the church of Philadelphia had. Unto the angel, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things saith he that is holy and he that is true. He that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. No man openeth. I know thy works, behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. Why? Why does this church have an open door? Well, God tells it. He gives the reason. A little strength, thou hast a little strength. You know, you know you're like a little child. So you knew you needed help. You knew you had to do ministry in a supernatural way. He says, I gave you an open door that no man can shut, why? For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Man, that's amazing, isn't it? We live in a day and age where people are happy to talk about God, aren't they? People are, you can talk to, People are kind of like very spiritually open. You can talk about God, but the minute you start proclaiming who he is and you start naming him as the Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever noticed how that just turns people off? Even other people who call themselves Christians, Bible believers, there's something about the name of Jesus that makes them uncomfortable. Why is that? Well, it's the only name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. If, if you've believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're born again by the power of his person, his finished work at Calvary, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're born again. Man, you ought to love that name. That ought to be the sweetest 
Uh, that would be the absolute sweetest word in the entire vocabulary of your life, right? The name of Jesus, it's the name above all names. Man, God help us. Why is it that people are turned off by the name of Jesus Christ? You got people that literally, they'll just quit talking to you because you're, you're, you know, you're a Jesus freak. You're a Jesus kook. What is it about that name? Um, well, he's the door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If you're gonna submit to God in the name of Jesus, it's because you're not smart enough, you're not sharp enough, you're not strong enough, you're not good enough, you're certainly not good looking enough, you're not fast enough, you're not strong. I mean, you are not enough. Jesus is the only one that is sufficient to satisfy the Father. You, you come to God through the name of Jesus, you come through a vehicle of humility, don't you? It's, you gotta humble yourself under the name of Christ. A lot of people don't like to do that. As a matter of fact, what we like to do is we like to stand in the place of God as God and just say we're in charge. It's the, it's the wrong spirit. It's the spirit of antichrist, isn't it? And it's the same thing with the Bible. Have you ever noticed uh, people are happy about the Bible, but the minute you say, man, I believe the King James Bible is the word of God. It's the inspired word of God in the English language. Woo, you're a kook. I mean, why is that? You, like, you, nobody gets grief. Like, nobody gets beat up for saying, I love the NIV, I use the NIV. Everybody's like, oh yeah, cool man, whatever. But, you know, man, I love the King James, I use the King James. You are a legalistic, cultic kook. But you've got churches that are NIV only, ESV only, a, a church that says our teaching standard, now again, be very clear on this. You can use, you can read whatever version of the Bible you want to, okay? The King James police should not be pulling you over and confiscating your NIV. That should not be happening, okay? Um, um, but in terms of our teaching authority, and if you've got a choir, ideally everybody's singing off the same score. If everybody has their own version of the piece, it's gonna be chaos. We don't want to be in a position, there's a, tact, there's, a, there's a good tactical reason as well for why we use one version of the Bible in our teaching ministry. It's because we need a final authority. It doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what I think, it matters what this book says. And that's freeing, okay? That puts us in a position where nobody can get the bit in their mouth and do what they want by pitting different versions of the Bible against each other and coming up with their truth, right? In other words, our Bible studies don't look like well, my Bible says it this way. Well, my Bible says it that way. Well, my well, what did God say? Well, we don't know. We'll just do the best we can with our opinions about what the Bible says. We don't want to substitute for the word of God the opinions of men. Is everybody tracking with me? But the minute you say, I'm King James, and that's what we're gonna use as our final authority in ministry, this is, this is our pulpit ministry, all of our teaching is gonna be done from a King James. Oh, you're leading a cult. But if I took that same position with the NIV, oh, well that makes sense. What is it about this book compared to all other versions of the Bible? Can I just tell you something? Anytime you get grief over the person of Jesus or his word, double down. Don't put your tail between your legs and run off. I had a pastor in this town tell me. I said, hey man, you know, why did you go from the King James to a multiplicity of versions? You know, what's the new data? And he said, well Sammy, this was, his, this was his new data. He said, Sammy, you know, your kids will not be preaching, teaching, reading, or even understanding a King James Bible. It might as well be Greek or Hebrew to them. And um, so that's the new data. It's pragmatism. 
In other words, y'all are too stupid to understand this book. So I'm gonna just give you a multiplic- uh, just a, a multiplicity of Bible ber- versions and I'm gonna basically say in Genesis 7, I like the way the message phrases it here and over here in Genesis chapter nine, the ESV really captures the, the intent but also the spirit of the original languages and, and, uh, and so you know, I'm just telling you my opinion on what the best version is here, there, or everywhere and, and now where's the final authority resting? It's not in a book that we can point to, it's in the opinions of the pastor. And it's all under the guise that you're too stupid to learn a few hundred vocabulary words. So while this pastor is telling me this, okay, already my children are understanding and reading a King James Bible, but we had an international student who speaks English as a second language. Uh, Her first language is Mandarin Chinese, okay? So English is a tough language for her. She's reading and understanding a King James Bible, and while he's telling me that my grandkids will be too stupid to to basically understand Shakespearean-type Elizabethan English, oh, by the way, um, my kids, when they were in junior high in English literature, they have a module on Shakespeare, and if you don't learn a few, I mean, if you don't figure out what hark means, you get points counted against you in secular school, so you're gonna have to learn a few vocabulary words. Uh, this English, this Chinese girl who speaks English as a second language is discipling an American girl off the college campus with a King James Bible. And she's understanding every word. Does this make, in other words, let's not let pragmatism cause us to put our tail between our legs and give up. Um, you can't reach young people with a King James Bible. I don't know if you've looked around. Did you see all those, where'd all those babies come from? On the screen, the young people, right? I mean, um, can, can I just tell you something? The lost, they don't care about any of that. You give them the gospel, and then give them a Bible. Well, what, what Bible do I need? Use this one, just hand them one. Hand them a Bible, they'll be like, okay. And then teach them, right? Give them the vocabulary for the, they don't care. It's Christians that care about the versions of the Bible. It's Christians that are going to war over what is and is not the word of God. The Philadelphian church age, they use this book and they turn their world upside down. God says, I opened a door for you, why? Well, you're not ashamed of my name and you kept my word. There's something to it. Why is it that people freak out at the name of Jesus and the name of the King James, the authorized version? I mean, it's just, man, there's something about that book that freaks people out. This flood is a complete flood. It's complete death. The water, I mean, you just look at verses 17 through 24. It covers the whole earth. So if you're gonna be a Bible believer, you don't believe in a localized flood, you believe in a universal flood because that's what the Bible says. The water necessary to inflict judgment on this scale to at least 23 feet of height over the tallest mountain, let's say Mount Everest was the tallest mountain at that time, then that means the water would have been at over 29,000 feet above sea level. Uh, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is like intercontinental airline height, okay? That's how much water. That's a great deal of volume. The Bible says the ark rested on the mountains of Ararat in chapter eight, verse four. Okay, that's a range that reaches heights of 16,000 feet. So it can't be a localized flood. Uh, some math nerds, I didn't do this, some math nerds calculated what it would take to cover the earth at this volume. And they said it would have to rain at a rate of 200 and uh, 200, no, I'm sorry, 725 feet per hour. 
In other words, that's a rate of rain at six inches per minute. Six inches per minute. You've never seen rain come down that fast, that hard. Uh, That takes up all the space. I mean, that is just water coming down. There's no room to breathe between the drops at six inches per minute. This is a deluge. Okay, so the breath of life was suffocated out. You know, you'll see all the art where you know, the, 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 the mountaintops are almost covered and so you've got a few holdouts at the top of the mountains and you see the raindrops coming down, they're reaching out, the arc's floating off into the sunset. Oh, you know, eh, that didn't happen. Everything died in the first few minutes. Uh, the, it, was a, it was a deluge, there's no prolonged suffering. This is just another mark. The volume coming at that rate is the mercy of God. There's no, longer, there's no prolonged suffering Verses 21 and 22 tells you everyone and everything that breathed the air died. So the language is not consistent with a localized flood. Verse 21, all flesh died that moved upon the earth. Uh, Even in North America, yeah, all flesh died that moved upon the earth. Every man, verse 21, died. Verse 22, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. What lived? Only Noah, verse 23. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Nothing swims that long. There may have been some Michael Phelps, you know, wannabe in Genesis. Nobody swims 150 days. Nobody survives six inches a minute rainfall. Well, what about the lost? Okay, so let's see if we can land the plane here. What about the lost? Okay, so get this down in your notes. Here's the picture. Your righteous, obedient faith becomes a condemnation of the children perdition. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, only eight were saved. Why? Well, they were faithful in fear of what God said. They knew judgment was coming. And so they got serious about that judgment and they moved. And as a result, only they, only eight souls were saved. Hebrews 11 verse seven says, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not yet as seen, or not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah's obedience, okay, this is critical. Who did God talk to? God talked to Noah. He didn't talk to his sons. But do you see what happened? Noah trembled at the word of God. He took it serious and he got to work. And obviously his family bought in. Do you see that? Noah did, Noah's family didn't get a meeting with Jehovah. God talked to Noah. Noah moved with fear. And that resulted in the saving of his household His household took him seriously, but then notice the world. The rest of the world was corrupted. All flesh was corrupted before the Lord. They didn't take, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. They didn't take him serious, and as a result, they were lost. His obedience was their condemnation. That's what Hebrews 11, seven says. So, the same thing is true today. Philippians chapter one tells you the way you live your life out, the way you live Christ, affects other people. Philippians 1.27 says, let the way you live, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a, a really polite way of saying, you know, back in the old days, if somebody was dressed up nice, you know, they were, they were dolled up and they looked proper. 
uh, you would say, that dress is very becoming on you, or, or your, your dress is very becoming of a lady, okay? It's the way you present yourself, okay? Only let your conversation, your lifestyle, the way you live, let it be becoming of the gospel. What does that look like? Well, it looks like we're unified in the faith, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving, to get, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So you're unified in your faith and you don't care that the lost world hates the message. Verse 28, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which to them is an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. And then in verses 29 and 30 says, you get to suffer for Christ's sake. You see that in my life. Paul was beaten, stoned, he was persecuted because he preached the gospel. Why? Well, because it's a, it's a terrible message to the lost. What do you have? Okay, if I make this statement, Jesus Christ died to save sinners. It's only through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ that a person can be born again and can be saved from their sin. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Death and hell are cast into a lake of fire. Some of us can hear statements like that and we can say, man, I'm so glad. I'm so grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because you're submitted to it, you're in. But other people will hear that and it'll make them feel bad. Why? Because they're not submitted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They never believed on it. They want to be right with God through their own works, through their own effort. Um, they have their, their own approach to life and they want God to be okay with that. And to say that Jesus is the door, that there's only one way to God, that's offensive to them. God says, our conversation becoming the gospel, uh, the way we, it, for us to live the gospel is an evident token of the lost world's destruction, of their perdition. So they don't like it, they're adversarial to it. Well, our preaching of the gospel is also, it's not just a way of salvation, it's not a vehicle to get the gospel to the lost, but it's also proof of deserved condemnation. Okay, now think about that. Noah heard the word of God and he got to work. He was moved with fear and that building of an ark, it was the saving of his household. You know why for some of you, Noah's whole, Noah's whole family believed, they bought in. You know why some of you, your family despises your Bible, they despise your gospel, they despise your God, they despise your life in Christ? It's because you're a hypocrite. You're not moving with fear. Your conversation, your lifestyle is not becoming of the gospel. And they look at you and they'll, they'll say, if that's a Christian, well, pff, I'm not impressed. Um, my kids aren't perfect, okay, they're not. Um, but the trajectory that we've set them on life is that they're want to a set to following the Lord. My kids have never heard me despise you on the way home from church. My kids have never heard me talk trash about you on the way home from church. My kids have never seen me approach gospel ministry like it's a means to an end. Now it is, it's a means to the end of the salvation of the nations, and I'm all about that. But they know for a fact, they live it firsthand. They see I'm not in the ministry in order to make a buck. They don't look at me and say, dad's a grifter, and he's getting over on people. Man, you show me a pastor, that's in it to get rich, I'll show you a wolf, not a shepherd, okay? There's a, there's a big difference. My kids have never heard me despise you. Now they've, 
unfortunately probably overheard counseling issues and things like that. But they know that you're worth a shepherd laying their life down for. Okay, they know that. For some of you, your wife, your husband, your children, they don't think God's real because they don't see the reality of him in your life. Oh, okay, so what is, I mean, the Bible can't be more clear on this. The prophecy says what happened will happen again. It won't be a flood next time. There was a flood in Genesis 1-2. There's a flood in Genesis 7. But the next, 2 Peter 3 says, the next cataclysm that's coming is fire. And the elements melt with a fervent heat. Now God's not willing, God's not slack as some men count slackness. He's not willing that any would perish. That final judgment, it's being delayed as much as it can because God's willing that all would be saved. But judgment is coming. And we only have today to convince people to escape the wrath to come. The earth and the works that are therein will be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The Bible says, you know, Jesus said, Matthew 24, just like it was in the days of Noah, that's what it'll be like in the coming of Christ's kingdom. And it won't be lamb-like, it will be lion-like. It will, be, it will come in judgment. They're all eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah enters into the ark and they're clueless. They knew not when the flood came and it takes them all away. If we believe that that's gonna take place again, what manner of persons ought we to be? Our lifestyle should be becoming the gospel. People don't take our gospel serious, they don't take our Bible serious, they don't take our life in Christ serious because we know these things intellectually, but hypocritically, it doesn't change what manner of person we are. We're more interested in you know, the next series on Netflix than we are in living Christ. Now again, I mean, let, let, just let me one hypocrite to another, okay? <laughs> let me just tell you, uh, I, could be, I could be more consecrated. I could be more sold out. I could be more on fire. I could be fuller of faith. God, help me to grow. I want the person in the life of Christ to be fully manifest in me. I feel like I'm, a, I'm still a toddler in that. Uh, I wanna grow in my walk with Christ. Uh, but my kids, what, what do they see? They saw me walk away from everything. You know, why are you here this morning? There are a lot of reasons for why you're here, but I'll tell you what one of them is, is I wa- one day I walked away from everything following God into the work that he called me to. It was me and a small team from another church in this town, and we said, okay, we're, God's sending us, we're going. Oh God, have mercy on me. I'm begging you for my family and for those that are with me in ministry, don't let this labor be in vain. And we gave ourselves. There is blood and sweat and tears and prayer and time and money and sacrifice that was put into a little church in the hood that so help us God by his grace is gonna rock the nations for his glory. Um, my family saw that and so they followed me in it. What's your family following you in? Can I just talk to you, one hypocrite to another? Are we moved with fear by the word of God? Or do we wanna make it just an intellectual exercise and say, God, I wanna keep you in your box over here. I wanna pull you out and be impressed from time to time, but really I just wanna live my life on my terms. I wanna follow my agenda my way. You're gonna lose your family. 
If you keep following that logic, is God real in your life? Noah saved his. Noah saw all of his kids in the ark. Man, that's what I want. I don't want to get to the judgment seat of Christ without any of my family. And if I can get my neighbors with me, bonus. If I can get people in Kansas City with me, bonus. If I can get people from every tribe and every tongue, every nation with me, jackpot, right? Bonus. Are you moved with fear? In Revelation chapter 20, it tells you when it's gonna happen. It's after the rapture of the church. It's after the thousand year reign of Christ. It's after Satan is loose for a little season. He goes out and he deceives the nations. There's another Gog, Magog coalition that goes up, marches against Jerusalem. And in Revelation chapter 20, in verse nine, the Bible says fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And what you see next is heaven and earth melted away and men standing upon nothing before a great white throne being judged. Judged. It's a final, eternal judgment. So what about your family? Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Fear and godly, I mean, faith in God's word, godly fear, that's gonna move you. That's gonna, that's gonna put you in motion. Jude 22 says, and if some have compassion, making a difference, the love of Christ, the gospel, the need of it will move us. So help us God by his grace. We've been saying this since our inception. We're gonna trust God not to play church. We're gonna trust God to win souls and make disciples and train and equip people to see ministry multiply around the earth. So help us God by his grace. We wanna be a little church in the hood that rocks the nations for Christ's glory. Are you a part of that? That starts at home. That, start, that starts with your parents. That starts with your kids. That starts with your spouse. That starts at home. The reality of God's word, is it evident in your life or do, does your family see a poser? Do they see a pretender? Do they see a player? You're not gonna move them. Man, mom, dad, husband, wife, child. You got a family member that's far from God, get full of faith, get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop dithering, stop playing. Judgment is coming. We only have today, while it's called today, to do the work that God's assigned us. We've only got today to live Christ. Do they see the reality of who Christ is in your life? Are you moving forward in faith? And then, one life at a time, one disciple at a time, one equipped member of the church at a time, one equipped and trained leader at a time, so help us God by his grace, will rock the nations for Christ's glory. I believe that with all of my heart. I don't wanna just hold services on Sunday and have a prayer meeting on Tuesday. All of that should fall out to, the, to just fewer people at the judgment seat or the great white throne and more people at the judgment seat of Christ. I wanna, I wanna be a part of something that's translating people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. In your high school, how is anybody in your high school gonna take the coming judgment seriously when you're not on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ? How is your coworker gonna believe anything about this book if you're not in love with it? Father, I come to you in Jesus' name and I just beg you for my brothers and sisters. I beg you for myself. I beg you for my wife and my children. God, you're worth being right with. God, help us to take you at your word and being warned of you, of things not seen as yet. God, that we'd move with fear and we'd get people on the ark of Jesus Christ, that we'd get people 
to, 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 to a place where they have to be confronted by Christ as the door. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to you. The only way to a heavenly home and a heavenly family where God, you're our Father. God, help us to get full of faith and full of the life of Christ and, and then, Lord, full of your compassion that we'd engage, that we wouldn't be lazy or afraid. God, make us like the Philadelphian church uh, that has an open door that no man can shut. We had a little strength and we believed your word. We, we didn't deny it. We didn't deny uh, your word. We didn't have a form of acknowledgement but no reality of it over our life. We, did, we weren't just hearers but Lord, doers of your word and then Lord that we're all about the person and the name of Christ. God, let, let Christ, let his name be magnified in our lives, be glorified as a result, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.